Hello, you lovely lot. I wanted to take a moment to share an exciting announcement with you all. I will be doing a live show for Happy Mum, Happy Baby at the podcast show in London on the 22nd of May. This will be a live episode of this very podcast featuring me and a very special soon-to-be-announced guest. Get ready for a candid conversation, unfiltered truths, laughs, invaluable non-judgmental advice and lived experiences. Dive into the complexities of parenting while juggling work, relationships and personal growth and we'll be talking beyond the baby years. As well as the live episode, the show will also include a Q&A with both me and my guest. Tickets go on sale this Friday the 26th of April at 10am, but anyone who is part of the Happy Mum, Happy Baby newsletter will be getting early access to tickets on Wednesday the 24th of April at 10am. To sign up to the newsletter and for more information about the event, please head to happymumhappybaby.com forward slash events. I can't wait to see you there. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to a brand new episode of Happy Mum, Happy Baby, the podcast. Today's guest, well, she's a radio DJ, a TV presenter. She has her own podcast called Soundtracking With, but I can't finish that because then you'll know her name. She's a mother to two boys as well. Uh, it is Edith Bowman. Hello. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm so good. nice to see you as well. Do you know what? I've got you full on my screen. So it's literally like you are here. Same. It's lovely. Love it. You look very well. Thank you. Thank you very much. As do you. Thanks. Just had a bath. Did you? Well, I had to wash my hair in the sink because we're potty training at the moment. The, the youngest, the third one. And uh, the, the poo situation didn't go very well. And he managed, you know, however much you say, don't touch it, don't touch it. They, he touched mm. it and it was on his hand. And then the next time I looked, it wasn't there, but he flicked it. Oh, and I my. didn't know where he'd flicked it. And then I <laughs> moved my hair out of the way and I was like, oh, what's that? Oh, great <laughs> you can just smell it can't you you've got yeah. that it's so weird we just got a dog about um 
five months ago, not even that, four months ago. And it was almost like that immediate thing, similarly with a dog, that you can, you know the smell of your own child's kind of yeah. wee and poo and farts. Yeah. And so, like, immediately I know that, like, I know I know the dog's, the smell of the dog's poo. <laughs> so even when I just go in the garden, I can tell if he's, you know, it's like, oh, no, he's done a sneaky one. I need to find it kind of. It's, it's weird, isn't it? That's also a little bit like pregnancy nose. Because I think when you're pregnant, your nose is just so tuned in. And I don't think you lose it. And once that smell is up your nose, it's really hard to let it go. Mm. Yeah, absolutely agree. I like where we started. I mean, <laughs> starts me to go on. <laughs> It's only you started it. You said you had a shower and it reminded me of washing air in the sink tonight. Oh, it's such a luxury having a shower. It's like, have I showered today? What day is it? Oh, God, I really should. So if we get to 10 o'clock in the morning and neither of us have had showers, we're like, oh, it's a bit too late now, isn't it? Yeah, exactly, exactly. I've I've now started um, loving having a shower before I go to bed. That's, That's nice. my new thing. Because it's kind of like there's too much going on in the morning. Yeah. So it's kind of... I'm not going to add another thing in there to stress me. No one's going to see me. I'm not going anywhere. So <laughs> I may as well make... You can make like most of that time as well. You don't have to worry about, I've got to get out because they've got to be on Teams in a minute. And if I'm not there, they won't go on, you know. Yeah, exactly. So then now it's kind of, it's also quite a nice way to just decompress at night. Yeah, I like Of that. like, you know, a shower or eat or, you know, or like I did tonight, have a wee bath. Oh, a lush. bath. I know. Actually, With like oil lay in it. Wow. Yeah, I know. I mean, I think I did 10 minutes. <laughs> Are you like me? Do you get in there and go, oh, yeah, this is really nice, and then get a bit bored? I get too hot. <laughs> <laughs> Can you sweat in a bath? Because I'm sure I do. It's just kind of weird. <laughs> I do. I definitely do that. <laughs> now, Edith, oh. I would love to know where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? So I grew up in a little fishing village in Scotland called Anstruther. And it's on the East Coast. It's about an hour north of Edinburgh and just south of Dundee. Um, and I grew up with my large family. So my mum is one of seven girls. Right. All, all beginning with E. I wasn't named after them. Weirdly, I was named after my dad's mum. And my granddad and my nana started this little... B and B, like, um, and then over the years it grew into a, a hotel, and so that was the environment that I grew up in. You know, my mum and four of her sisters and their siblings—they all worked in it and ran it, so it was proper family business. Um, and it was just this amazing kind of bustling, just kind of thing that I grew that I grew up in. It was never a dull moment, and it had its it had its good points and it had its bad points. You know, in terms of my mum and dad were always working, you know, it was really busy. So, you know, summer holidays were the busiest time for them. So, you know, we'd be kind of kicked out the door and you just go off and hang out with your mates and come back for tea, you know, it's that kind of thing. And then, but then they would always make sure that we had, you know, they worked their arses off, but we would always have a nice holiday every year. And so that was our kind of, you know, they'd have a couple of days off during the week and stuff, but weekends they were always working. So we'd always have these really nice holidays. Um, you know, not not extravagant, just kind of, you know, Portugal. We did go to America, I think, twice in my childhood, but just proper family holidays where we kind of did everything that we wanted to do. Mm. Um, but with them working at weekends, I spent 
all my weekends from the age of naught till about 11, 12. And my granddad, my my dad's dad, and he lived like a mile along the road in a little village called Pitt and Wheem, another little fishing village. And so he was like a third parent really to me. Um, And there's kind of a a, a sort of folklore that he went through two sets of tyres on my mum's silver cross pram because he walked me so much as a baby. Um, Yeah, and we had a really special, we had a really special bond, I think as well, because he lost... My nana, um, in childbirth, actually, she died giving birth to my aunt. My dad was only three. And so I was the first grandchild. And so we had this immediate kind of, he had this thing, you know, that he could transfer that love onto almost in a way. So we had a very, very special bond. And I have some just wonderful memories of spending time with him. And yeah, most weekends. So it was interesting. You know, it was a kind of slightly unconventional childhood. We never had Christmases in the way that everybody had Christmases because the hotel was open and we'd serve Christmas lunches. Um, And so, you know, we'd serve 300 Christmas lunches and then we'd all sit down, like all the family, all the staff would all sit down. Someone would dress up as Father Christmas. Um, So it was a big, it was always a bit of a party kind of thing going on. There was always something going on, whether it be a street party, you know, for the royal wedding or... Um, a christening or a dinner dance or a jazz band or it was never a dull moment. And your mum was relatively young as well when she had you. Yeah, she had me at 19. So we've got I've got this brilliant picture of um, me singing her happy birthday at her 21st <laughs> in my nighty. She was always older than her years. My, 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 I remember my nana talking about that sort of, you know, she was just this little old soul, my mum. Yeah. And I think because she spent so much time in the hotel, you know, in that environment and her older sisters as well. And then she was always kind of looking after her younger sisters. Mum's right in the middle of everybody. She's right. got three either, either, either side of her. So, um, but yeah, and so we've always had a really special bond because she is, she was so young when she... When she had me, you know, we had her ups and downs. I was a terrible teenager. Were you? Um, yeah. Left home once. Just got on the bus. Did you? How um, old were you? 15, I think. Right. I just kind of, you know, that thing where no one understands me. <laughs> I I can't be in this house anymore. You know, you just can't let me do anything, which was rubbish because they just, they did kind of let me do whatever I wanted. Um, it's funny though, so isn't I, it? Because in hindsight, you can look at what you don't let your kids do and what kids just can't do now, and yeah, kind of go, actually, I, yeah. we had free reign. Totally. Like what I was saying about you know during the summer, we'd I would have breakfast with my folks, and then I would be out the house. Yeah, they wouldn't know where I was. You know, they just they just hope that I'd come back. <laughs> something at tea time. There's no mobile phones and all that kind of stuff. You know, it was just. Yeah, it's bonkers to think that now. But uh, yeah, I it was really funny because I got on the bus and my dad, I, he knew where I was going. I was going to a friend who lived like four or five villages along. And so the bus obviously takes ages weaving through all these villages. And when I got to there, my dad was already waiting for me. <laughs> so ladies, and I'd kind of cut, you know, I'd let steam off in the bus almost. So by the time he picked me up, it was like, I was fine. I said my sorries. <laughs> Tail between my legs. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever think about having a family of your own before you met Tom? Yeah, I mean, I because of this large family that I grew up in, you know, we always had kids around. So, you know, I've got like 20 cousins and we all grew up together. So we'd all be running around this hotel and in the function suite, we'd always like, we'd always, most of us would go there for lunch, you know, we'd walk up to the hotel for, for lunch at, when we were at school um, and then disperse to our various, you know, 
schools after that. And then sometimes um, after school, if there was things going on at the hotel and we were waiting for parents to kind of finish work and we'd go in the function suite and take um, tablecloths off the tables and use them as um, the biggest and the strongest. We'd have to hold a corner of the tablecloth while the rest of us sat in it and they'd like spin us around the dance floor <laughs> on this kind of like magic carpet thing. Um, but So we were always around kids and I was looking after cousins from a really early age and... My brother is seven years younger than me as well. So I was, I looked after him a lot, actually, you know, mm. kind of grown up. And so I had this kind of natural, I guess, instinct with kids, really. And then when my nephew was born, he's going to be 18 um, this month. And that was an amazing feeling of kind of this little thing that was a blood relative, mm. you know, my brother's kid. Um, the closest thing I had to like my own, and it was a it was a bond that was really hard to put words to, really. Um, and we've got a, I've got such a lovely relationship with Carrie. He's amazing, amazing young man, and that was just inc- I couldn't spend enough time with him. It was, you know, I'd come up from London, especially just to hang out with him, sort of thing, and take him for walks when he was a baby, and and um, yeah, we've been on loads of holidays together and things like that. And there's a yeah, it's a really amazing bond, and then. Yeah, I kind of thought I wanted to have kids and then I didn't really think about it for quite a long time, to be honest, because there was just so much kind of going on. And then, yeah, and then we we, we had, I mean, to be totally honest, we hadn't planned, Rudy. You know, mm. it was kind of like a, a happy accident. And then he came along and it was just this amazing new world that was, you know, kind of opened up to us. And Do you think, and, had you have had you have planned things that... It would be that thing of constantly kind of going, well, I can't do it now because I'm I'm doing this oh, now. Yeah. And, you know, it, yeah. we can overthink things and there's never a right time. No, I think you're absolutely right. And I think also the flip of that as well is almost kind of like making too many plans. You can be really disappointed as mm. well. You know, I think you just almost have to just kind of take your foot off the the pedal and just see what happens almost in a way I think sometimes because I've had friends who've had you know really not very nice experiences with desperately trying to have kids you know we must have two kids and and it just it not working out like that for them and I think sometimes you can put too much pressure on on that side of things and there's so much external pressure on that side of things I think as well you know it's always that thing of Oh, um, when are you getting married? Uh, when are you having kids? And then even like after having two boys, it's like, oh, you're going to try again for a girl. <laughs> and it's like, uh, no, thanks very much. Because, you know, it's like, I mean, A, I would, wouldn't like to have one of me when I was a teenager for a start. <laughs> um, so it's kind of like, but it's so weird, this kind of society's expectations of, uh, you know, couples, you know, whether they be same-sex couples or heterosexual couples it's almost kind of like there is a stage that you have yep. to follow and and it's so weird and even when we had Rudy and we were like um someone's like oh you're gonna get married now and it's like well no I don't I don't want to get married as a knee-jerk reaction to having a, a kid you know we we love this little thing that we're learning how to look after <laughs> scared about every you know every corner we turn um and then weirdly it was after we had Spike that, you know, not long after we had him, t- Tom in the middle of the night, and we'd kind of not really, we kind of joked about getting married after our 10th anniversary of being mm. together. And um, and then we had Spike 
a couple of years before that. And in the middle of the night, Tom just turned around and went, I think we should get married. And I think weirdly it was a kind of, you know, having this, this second kid, he sort of, I think for him it was a case of, I feel like I need to cement this in some way or I need to, I don't know, I don't, I never really asked him why, to be honest. But then, you know, we got we got married within six months of that sort of thing. Spike was like, he was only, he was born in the February and we got married in the December. And he had this little suit and he looked like a little, <gasps> little baby Winston Churchill. He was so <laughs> chunky. He was amazing. Um, but but yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, but weirdly with Spike, that was, he was not, he wasn't, he wasn't planned, but it was kind of like, shall we try for another one? Yeah. And we kind of went, well, let's see what happens. And we were, I was really fortunate that I, I got pregnant so quick after yeah. that, actually. Going back to your first pregnancy with Rudy, what was that like finding out you were pregnant when you weren't? expecting it oh I was terrified I mean I cried I mean I remember Tom was on tour and I remember phoning him and being in tears and he thought I was about to tell him I had some kind of terminal disease or illness or something um but I was terrified my friend Gemma I think I did like eight pregnancy tests as well <laughs> my friend Gemma so I was like could you get please can you bring another one around just to double check did you thing. get the lines ones so or the ones funny. that just say pregnant not pregnant I think it was a line one. See, they confuse me. I can't yeah. be doing with it. Yeah, totally. And then because I've got this heart thing, so I've got a, a heart moment. It means I've got a, a bicuspid valve instead of a tricuspid valve. And um, so my doctor was like, look, I just need you to go and get a, an early, you know, an early scan, normally the, earlier than you would normally go. And um, Rudy was actually a, he was a, a double pregnancy Um so yeah, and but they said really early on that one of the one of the fetuses had a really um uh his his heartbeat was really strong and the other ones was kind of quite weak and they were like, Look, it's very unlikely this that, that this one is gonna survive. Mm. And the doctor was amazing about it because he's um actually she was a she, it was a nurse actually, and she said, Look, you wouldn't believe the amount of pregnancies that actually start off as twin pregnancies but because most people don't come for scans this early they would never know i was because one. if i oh were you yeah oh wow yeah but it was like and then and i i mean i would never have known as well because mm. um there was no clear signs that i'd i'd lost you know a i mean it wasn't really a baby you know it was so early really to be honest yeah um but we told rudy about it and stuff you know um, and we used to, we joked about it as well when I was, about it being like um, Danny DeVito and Arnie Schwarzenegger, you know, <laughs> twins sort of thing. Um, but, um, but yeah, but but this it was it was quite, quite quick from being told that to then going for the next scan and going, yeah, there's just one heartbeat sort of thing. Um, and, you know, and then it's just looking, being excited and trying to work out what you, what you do until this thing arrives, hopefully, you know, healthy and all that kind of thing. Did you have to I get mean, monitored more because of your heart? Yeah, so I kind of had to get, um, I've got a heart specialist that I go to and she kind of does a full set of kind of scans and things on me every year. And so my um, doctor had kind of made the decision for me early on that he said, look, one of the things that puts your heart under the most strain is natural childbirth. Mm. So I would feel more comfortable with uh, making this, the decision that you have a C-section so because we can have that choice to not put your heart under unnecessary strain. So I was like, look, I'm fine. I'm I'm not kind of, you know, the main thing is that we're both healthy and we're yeah. both 
fine after this. And um, and I was I didn't really think about it, to be honest. I wasn't kind of one of these people who felt like I'd lost some kind of experience of connecting with my child from not, you know, and it's like, it's absolute bollocks. And sorry for swearing. No, no. What kind of swearing? I'm Scottish. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think that there's, there is a massive stigma on that. And I, I, I experienced it when people, when you go, when, for whatever the conversation is and the, the person that you're talking to discovers that you had a C-section, I had two, and they go, and they they almost kind of go, oh, and you're like, really? Sorry? <laughs> yeah. Um, you don't know my situation. You don't know why that decision was made. You know, it might have been an emergency situation and stuff. And, you know, I had amazing support in the whole leading up to it. And the experience was amazing. Tom made a playlist and we had that on in the theatre and he was nearly sick. And <laughs> <laughs> he had a harder time than me. Um, I was like, could you just turn the music up a bit, please? And, so I can um, block him out. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Um, and, and, and yeah, so that was a kind of, you know, that was that was made that was the advice we were given. So yeah. it's like, you know, you know what you're talking about. So I'm, I'm going to take that. Well, That's there is that weird do. thing, isn't there? I think it has weirdly become this thing where people forget that it's major abdominal surgery. It's not yeah. a walk in the park. It's, mm. you know, and I think it, when it gets nicknames like the sunroof or, you know, things like that, it's like... To push to push. Yeah. Like that's what not helping heck? anyone, you no, know. I don't, you know. Neither is the easy option, and all that should be the focus is the baby and the mum being safe. Yeah, yeah, exactly, absolutely. And you know, I was kind of there was a slight kind of fear in me, I guess, going with the second, and because um, I had, I'd had a, f I was absolutely fine after the first one, you know, in terms of my recovery. Mm. I did Glastonbury eight days after having Rudy did the TV coverage, and um, and that was more. I mean, that was that was me trying to prove prove a point to myself. I think more than anything. But did you Spike, feel fine was, doing that? Yeah, I felt absolutely. I mean, it was it was definitely. I definitely kind of came out of the other side of that, going, "What was that?" Because um, I was, you know, I was like, I was. I remember. I remember saying to Sally, my producer, when we were we were watching a performance and I was like, Sally, how long are we on this? She's like, 12 minutes. I was like, I'll be back in 10. Kind of waddling off to like a port cabin to express, to put the milk in a little fridge that we'd bought at Argos on the way there. So then I could take it back to the little B&B &B to give to my mum so she could then feed him my milk when yeah. I went back the next day. It's crazy, but um, you know, he, we took him down there, and my mum came down, and we we did it. Tom played, um, and I just I remember when we got down there actually on that Friday or the Thursday, and we packed the car up. I mean, they're tiny; they hardly need anything. As long as they've got a cuddle, a clean nappy, and some milk, they're fine. But we had, I mean, the car you could not see out the back window with so much stuff. <laughs> I used to write a checklist before I went anywhere oh and I'd be writing God. it two weeks before just to make sure I didn't leave anything behind. All that stuff. Insane. <laughs> I know. And he cried the whole way down from London oh. to Glastonbury. And so it was kind of like, this is going to be all right. And Tom, bless him, had to pretty much get us in the room, put all the stuff in the room. My mum arrived and he had to go and do a warm-up show in Frome. And he, I remember him just before he left, kind of just literally coming across to the bed and, and whilst I was feeding Rude and going, holding my hand, going, we did the right thing, babe. It's going to be all right. I promise you it's going to be all right. And he was right. You know, I look back on it and I go, 
it's pretty amazing we can tell Rudy that story. You know, yeah. it's like, but yeah. But with Spike, sorry, I was saying Spike, I was slightly, um, it was a different experience because Rudy was four and I kind of felt like I had, I had to kind of make a bit of a fuss of him. Yeah. And I tried to do too much. So I tried to be normal mum mm-hmm. as well as trying to recover from a C-section. And so it was harder, much harder the second time. So funny, I can literally remember a friend of mine doing exactly the same thing. And, you know, when you when you pick your child up and spin them round by their arms, she did that, even though she'd just given birth to the second. And it is that wow. you just want them to know that you still love them. They're so, still yeah. so important. Nothing's going to be different. Yeah. And afterwards, yeah, was... you know, it was kind of that thing of, I just shouldn't have done that. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was, it was kind of silly and it, it I really I struggled a bit actually, um, just in terms of the pain more than anything, and and I'm really rubbish at asking for help and sort of, um, you know, saying that things aren't great. So, but it was pretty evident I think for everybody around me that I was having a bit of a hard time. It's hard though. I I think for me it was especially the first. It's that thing if you want everyone that comes over to kind of go, oh she's so good. You know, mm. but re- really, you just need to sit down and do nothing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and I'm really bad at that. Always have been. It's because I grew up in this hotel. Yeah. And it was always, you know, we were always working. Everybody had to do. So that's kind of um, the work ethic thing. It's like, I'm so bad at sitting down. Yeah. So bad. Um, But we were really lucky as well that we had Tom's mum and dad in Gloucestershire. And we'd kind of escape out there. And mm. they would just kind of scoop the boys up and put me on the sofa and kind of, you know, just kind of take a bit of, take a bit of the pressure off. I remember with Rudy, actually, my mum, this is amazingly, I love how instinctive mums can be, you know, even when you're an adult. Mm. Um, and I remember she, Tom had gone off on tour, Rudy must have been, I mean, maybe even just a couple of months old. And she called me and she still lives in Scotland and she called me. Uh, I spoke to her and my dad and I was just having a bit of a rubbish time. I was just finding it all a bit stressful. I was on my own. As I said, I'm really bad at asking for help. So I was just, you know, kind of, oh, I'm okay, you can do this kind of thing. And then, bless her, she put the phone down, um, got on the first flight she could down from Scotland and within like five hours she was she, my front doorbell went and it was my mum she just walked up and oh I just burst out into tears and it was amazing <laughs> just to cry. <laughs> <laughs> she just knew she just knew that I needed I needed a bit of help and I needed I needed my mum you yeah. know and so she just she was just there and oh my god it was the best feeling ever so for anybody listening who's scared to ask for help please just ask for help it's all right. Yeah. It's all right to ask for help. And it's so know. normal. Becoming a mum is so overwhelming. And I can remember having Buzz and just, you know, I've, I would say I'm, in friendship groups, I've always been the most maternal one. I'm always the one looking after everyone. Yeah. And then when he came along, I was suddenly like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not <laughs> maternal. I'm, I've been <laughs> fooling myself the whole time, you know. And you just feel like you're completely inept and... And that thing of there's so much pressure on every single part, whether it's the bond, whether it's breastfeeding, whatever it is, there's mm-hmm. so much pressure. And I can remember saying to my dad really early on, I don't know if he loves me. And Aww. he was like, Giovanna, of course he loves you. 
you're everything to him. You know, mm. you know, you mustn't think that. And you're like, oh, yeah, that you're you're so right. But it is that thing of I think we all think that motherhood looks a certain way. Absolutely. And actually it's far messier and the emotions are up and down. And, you know, everyone when you speak to and when you see people on TV, everyone's answer to what do you think of motherhood? How is it going? Amazing. It's amazing. That's all I ever saw. Yeah. It's because you don't get the time to say, it's amazing, but, and then mm-hmm. expand on it and then go, but I am so lucky. It is also hard though. And sometimes I'm regularly crying in the cupboard or in the bathroom or <laughs> feeling like I'm, I just can't do it. You know, yeah. it's messy. It is messy. And I think that that's kind of, and I think that there's kind of, there can be real stigma attached to people being honest about that about it as well. You know, mm-hmm. in, in terms of there's, you know, and, 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 and I think that in the same way that we have, a, you know, we're we're getting to that place with with the conversation around mental health and about how, um, you know, acceptable it is to be able to talk about your mental health. I think around, um, you know, postnatal depression and, and things like that. I never saw a doctor or anything, but I definitely think I, I had a some kind of hormonal, you know, imbalance that, and just kind of being able to cope with everything. Because I think that one of the things that really accentuates all that is the sleep deprivation. Yeah. And I know that people almost kind of make a bit of a joke about it. Are you ready for the sleepless nights kind of thing? But it's weird because it's, I, I think as human beings, we have this reflex action where we suppress things. So you may be the, the most open-minded person. You may be the most open communicator, but you'll still there are certain emotions that you might feel it's not the right time to express that. So you suppress it. And I think that the sleep deprivation kind of eliminates all that ability to suppress things. So you've got all this stuff kind of swirling around that has nowhere to kind of to lie or, or to be positioned sort of things. So it's, it can really, really mess with you. I think, I think that that's a massive factor in, in a lot of that, I mean, I even know like with, um, you know, when I was doing like a breakfast show and, and how that kind of, I could tell how it affected my mood. Yeah. That the sleep thing, I think it's got a massive, a massive. So I just wish there was a, there was a, I don't know, a, a different line of conversation about, you know, about postnatal emotions or yeah. postnatal mental health states rather than postnatal depression you know that word in itself I think carries so much stigma with it yeah. carries so much kind of um I don't know kind of um assumption from people mm. that I think by it being labeled that it's kind of makes a lot of women scared to admit that there's you know they need to speak to someone or there's something not quite right I can remember meeting someone who um she said that her health visitor just kept asking her, you know, are you okay? Are you, you know, and she was like, it's like she just wanted me to admit that there was something wrong. It's like, but that's really hard, isn't it? Because if she didn't probe, you know, that's how people get missed. And mm-hmm. we all know that I don't know how other people felt when health visitors and midwives came over, but I felt like I had to perform being the best mum ever. Yeah. Because at that point, I didn't know that if I showed anything else that they weren't going to take my baby away. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. I remember even going to the, so in the space of like, I think, wow, it must have been a year, Spike. So within the space of a year, I'd had him at A&E 
three or four times. A couple of times was because of really high temperatures. We lived right by the Royal Free, so... You know, it was a case of phoning the doctor and they go, OK, if his temperature's this, get him straight in. And it was, you know how sometimes kids have their thing that's their sort of weakness. If it's like yeah. a, 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 you know, an ear infection, you get that all the time. With Spike for the first year, it was kind of he had really high temperatures. So I had him at the Royal Free maybe three times. Um, and they were amazing and they were so attentive and they were so helpful when they calmed you down, you know, it's like, don't worry, you know, you're in the right place. And then I remember he was, he, he must've just turned one cause he was just about walking or maybe just before one. And he, you know, standing up in his cot and doing that bouncy thing that they do. And he, he, he just toppled out of his cot and he, he hurt his arm. Yeah. So I was just like. Every time he tried to put weight on it, he'd sort of, you know, he'd cry. And I was like, I'm going to go and take him because he's definitely done something to it. He can move it, but he's done something. And so I remember going up to the Royal again and it was a very different experience. It was because it was, you know, and quite rightly so, because they, there was a child coming in that had a physical yeah. injury and stuff. But, oh my God, I felt like I was being interrogated, you know, in terms of you know, how high was the cot? And and I'm like, I don't know. It's always And most of these questions that they were asking, I couldn't answer because yeah. I was I was in a state of shock myself because my little boy was in, you know, in pain sort of thing. But that was a slightly terrifying experience mm. um, and, and the difference in the way that the line of questioning, the way that you talk to you. And that was almost like that kind of the, the health visitor coming around a bit multiplied. Yeah. And that's the thing, isn't it? Because kids do just hurt themselves. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, they've just even now he's seven and the way he sort of uses the living room is like an assault course. It's like, <laughs> oh, it's like glad it's not just mine. Please. <laughs> please. <laughs> you just see the coffee table and you're like, oh, my God, so close. Please stop. We've taken our coffee table out because actually the night before I had the third uh, boy max i was just taking them up to bed i literally cleaned up i could feel that i'd had a sweep that day and i thought well, it might be happening so grandparents might be coming over best clean and um and the boys had just started um th that phase of like jumping on sofas anyway mm. we were literally five seconds from going upstairs and buddy had got up on the sofa and his foot had just slipped he came crashing down on the corner of the coffee table. His head completely split open. Oh and it was God. a case of quick grab him. You know when you're almost too scared to look mm. because you know it's bad, like you know. Um, uh, and yeah, it was literally like a like a wound, like a bullet wound, but it, you know, right in his in, in his head. And we just grabbed him oh and God. took him right down to the hospital. And literally my contraction started in in the hospital while he was being tended and really it was weird because it was almost like that smell of blood this is quite graphic reminded me of them as newborns really mm -hmm. weirdly and yeah. I don't know whether that was an extra rush of hormones for me that just kind of kick-started things further but since that moment I am really bad with coffee tables so our coffee table <laughs> is still in our bedroom it's far too big to be in our bedroom and every now and then I'm like come on there's six four and two almost seven five and two can it go downstairs yet I'm just like I don't think I can because Buzz like the, the six-year-old he lit they will jump from sofa to sofa still mm. no matter what is in the way wow yeah that's yeah it's kind of and he just 
even when you're out for a walk and they they'll they just they'll just find something that's <laughs> high or sharp or yeah. loose to kind of oh my <laughs> god it's just like it's the heart palpitations it's like guys i've got I a know. dicky heart already please <laughs> oh my god many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is plush care Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. How's homeschooling going for you? Uh. <laughs> First lockdown. If ever there was a word. Sand, just sand. We, we only had one child. Um, so Buzz was in year one for mm. first lockdown. Uh, and now we've got one in reception and one in year two. Um, I mean, do you know what? It is what it is. It's mm. interesting knowing that, every, you know, feeling like everyone's doing it. This time they've got more live lessons. Yeah. So it's nice for them to be able to see their friends, see that everyone's doing the same thing. Yeah. Um, it's just different in winter, isn't it? Yeah. That's, absolutely. That's absolutely. I've, um, it's really funny because Spike, he just, he, he's, he's a real joker and he really misses kind of, you know, being, being in the class and telling yeah. jokes and all that kind of stuff. And, um, but he does this thing where he's in the live classes where he's constantly changing his background <laughs> in his Zoom classes. And he, every time I kind of just go in to check, I can hear like his teacher going, Spike, could you just put your background <laughs> back to normal so you're not distracting the rest of the class? And it's like, oh, God, <laughs> I'm in space. I'm a dinosaur. You know, it's like, but it, I love it. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it is kind of his way I guess of trying to you know play with his imagination but yeah. it's funny but oh my. how are the boys doing in terms of not seeing their mates and stuff um they're all right you know I mean they've we got this dog we this dog we got our dog River <laughs> bless him um and that's been an amazing distraction for them um you know making friends with him and forming their own relationships with him um, you know, we only moved here and then within three months we were in the first lockdown. So they didn't have right. that much time to really make, you know, lots of friends. But Spike made 
I mean, he's he's like a whirlwind. And it's so it's harder for older kids, I think, you know, in terms of most of the kids have been through the whole school together. So really arrived when he was 11. And but he made some really lovely mates quite quickly in Spike as well. And they've been doing online, you know, gaming and stuff on Roblox mm. and things like that. And Rudy's had some really lovely times with um some of his London friends and then one of his very lovely friends, they actually moved back to Australia. Um, I think after the first lockdown, they're just in Adelaide. And so um, Louis and Rudy kind of have this once a week kind of chat whilst they're playing and, and it's yeah. kind of nighttime for Louis and first thing in the morning at the weekend for Rudy. And it's just, it's really heartwarming to hear them have these little conversations and they don't talk about COVID. They don't talk about the lockdown. And weirdly, I think, you know, as much as I hate how much time they want to spend on a screen and play games and stuff, these worlds that they're in are escape for them. Yeah. Rudy's really into Minecraft, so he's building these worlds. He's using his imagination to create these worlds that he, him and his friend can go and explore in together. So I like that side of it. So that's kind of really nice to sort of see them both anyway, have a bit of a connection with, with other kids um, but it's spiked. we went a bit wrong with the via technology thing because our kids haven't well to be honest they've not really spoken about their friends that much and uh, the other day it turns out that teams was being used for something other than their classes so the teacher was sort of saying you know yeah. you can't set up other things it has to be just yeah. school and uh, and so she used buzz as an example she was like buzz say you bought a new lego game or you know got a new set and you wanted to show um levi your set if you, instead of doing teams how might you show him and buzz's reaction was i'd wait until we came back to school and then i'd tell him then and the teacher was like oh <laughs> and I, I heard that i was like oh my gosh we haven't done facetime we haven't done calls or anything with any of their mates because because they've not told us mm. i haven't felt like they've been wanting it or needing it yeah well they've got each other as well and it's kind of you know yeah. They, I don't know, I mean, my two, there's four years between them and they have moments where it's beautiful, you know, with them. And then it's moments where it's like literally trying to hold them apart sort of thing. Yep. You know, it's it's been really interesting watching their relationship. And I really hope that this experience, I don't know, it, it, it kind of cements the good side of their, you know, the siblings yeah. um, in terms of they can look back and... and remember what they went through together you know and how they you know they, there weren't there wasn't really anybody else around we've started doing this thing on a saturday night where they stay up a little bit later only to watch the mass singer or whatever is on <laughs> whatever the equivalent is yeah uh, and we get a takeaway with them Great. and watch a bit of telly brilliant and it is literally the best thing mm -hmm. ever it's literally like we are hanging out with these little humans that we made yeah and there's nothing like it <laughs> Yeah, it's really funny that someone said to me the other day, because since we left London, I was like, oh, do the boys miss much about London? I was like, yeah, no, they miss friends, you know, and I was like, they miss Deliveroo. And <laughs> fair point, fair point. <laughs> oh, we can get delivered here's like Domino's, spikes like that five times a week going, can we have Domino's tonight? No, mate. <laughs> <laughs> was it hard? that must have been a hard decision to to move them from london to up north well so we're we're out we're out in gloucestershire so we're sort of two hours west of london but it's where tom's mum and dad are so it's where their grandma and granddad ah. are 
So we spent so much time out here anyway. They knew it, you know, there's a, well, there was a skate park down the road, you know, that they would go with their scooters. And so there was things that they knew about it. And they all, you know, prior to lockdown, we moved. They had mates come and stay. One of Rudy's friends came down and they did like a little sailing course. But one thing that I did notice quite quickly with them being here in the school and stuff was like, I felt like we were helping them preserve their childhood a little bit. In terms of motherhood, we're talking about Rudy and you kind of, I think I think when you first become a mum, you can kind of lose yourself a little bit. And and I think it takes a while for yourself to come back. And, and, and for me, I feel like I get glimpse of it, glimpses of it and it kind of disappears again. And I, you know, that for me, mm-hmm. castle life was definitely like, oh, this is who I am. Yeah. Um, how have you found that, you know, kind of losing yourself in it, bringing yourself back and also because I don't think you ever go back to what you were before because you can't Mm. go through this monumental thing called motherhood and come out the same because if you do you're for me I always think that someone's a bit of a twerp if someone massive doesn't change someone you know yeah and I think that it's it's finding that common ground you know we sort of I remember someone having a conversation about it of kind of like just be the sheer panic and fear of kind of having this little thing arrive and what what, how is it going to change our lives and what what's going to change about our lives? And one of the things that we said was like, well, look, the first thing is that he's coming into our lives. So we we have to make him part of that. You know, we have to embrace what we do and try and bring him into that rather than him dictate what we can and can't do in a way. Um, and so that was, you know, that was taking him on tour Australia. That was all that kind of stuff. But I think for me personally, I definitely had problems with kind of identity and who I was and but more a case of what other people's expectations or ideas of me were. You know, I was at Radio One and I kind of had this weird thing where it's like, well, I have a kid. I'm just not going to be on Radio One anymore. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of and there was part of that that was kind of true, but not really. Um, And I just felt like that I like the Glastonbury thing was me proving a point in a yeah. way do you know what I mean I remember my because I was having the c-section we knew when we were having him and I remember Mark Cooper and Alison Howe saying okay are you sure you want to do this and I'm like yes I am and they were like just to let you know it is absolutely fine at any point if you decide you don't want to do this of course we want you to be there but you know you're having a baby eight months, eight weeks, um, eight days before. <laughs> months, and, weeks, uh, days. <laughs> um, and and it was almost, I think, that and a number of other things were me kind of trying to prove a point going, oh, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm having a baby. Yes, I am, but it's not changing me. Um, and it took me a little while to get the balance right of of not being, it's not, a sh- not being kind of, shame's not the right word at all, not being fearful that by becoming a mum was going to make me someone that I didn't want to be if that makes sense or it was going to take actually it's going to take away part of me and that's not true at all because it it just I think it just highlighted all the good bits and it brought out all the good bits and it brought out new bits um and it made me kind of get rid of stuff and it made me prioritize things in a different way and and I think that that's something that I'm really grateful for of becoming a mum is that just made me look at my life a bit Mm. clearer 
um, and just sort of make choices for the right reasons. Yeah. Very true. <laughs> um, I uh, wrote a series of letters last year that are all around mm. motherhood. Some to Tom, some to the boys, some to different body parts, um, some to other people. If you could write a letter on motherhood, who would it be to and what would it say? Um, oh, that's really interesting. Do you know who I would write it to is my nan that I never met. Mm. Um, you know, she she died in childbirth and she never got to fully experience motherhood past the age of her son being three. Right. Um, and so I would write to her about um, my dad and the type of man that he became and the type of father that he was to me. And then I would also tell her about her husband, my granddad, and about the love that he, the unconditional lifetime love that he held for her that I felt I got a little bit of. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I was with him when he died and he died so peacefully. And I know that it was because he, he knew he was going to her. Mm. And so I just like to tell her about all the stuff that she missed. Yeah. And about her great grandchildren and her grandchildren. Um, yeah, and just tell her about all the stuff that she missed out on. But that she was ever present as well through the stories that I heard about her, through the pictures yeah. that I saw about her. Um, and how, yeah, and how she was never forgotten. It's incredible and so beautiful that she was clearly such a big part of everyone's life still. Mm. Yeah. Do you, have you had the death chat with your kids? Um, yeah, I mean, we lost so we we lost a, a really close. Um, she wasn't a relative; she was almost like our, an adopted nan. Um, she would have been a hundred yesterday, um, and we lost her just before Christmas. And the boys, you know, they they spent so much time with her growing up, and when we were up in Scotland, and so it's the first person. For them that, that's you know that's died and so yeah we, I had the had the conversation with with them about it um but they kind of didn't really it's weird they didn't go into it they they you know we had a conversation they were really upset obviously and um you know we celebrated her birthday yesterday um and I don't know I think because she was old as well they kind of they knew that she'd had an amazing life and they knew that she'd lived every day to its full potential. Um, and they didn't seem scared by it, which is yeah. kind of, I guess, really healthy. How have you managed the juggle between work and family life? I mean, I oh guess now it's that weird thing of you literally passing the baton between you and Tom in the same way that we are. But do you, you know... Is it a thing that you're constantly working on? Yeah, totally. It's a total, it's, I mean, teamwork. And 
He's been amazing because it's been crazy busy for me the last couple of weeks. And now it's really crazy busy for him because he's got a... He's done this record with Andy Burroughs. Um, it's their second album they've done together. And they did a Christmas one 10 years ago and they've done this really beautiful um, new record. And so they're promoting that at the minute. You know, they've got sessions. And so, you know, Andy does a test and comes round so they can record here, do sessions and things like that. I had to film them. I bought a Steadicam from my iPhone, <laughs> filmed a session for James Corden's Late Late Show. <laughs> um, new skills you learn in, in, in lockdown. Um, but it's kind of, it's it's teamwork. It's about right, what have you got to do and what have you got to do? So it's kind of, every day is so different. You can't, It's really hard to plan stuff in, um, because... The kids are kind of all encompassing really within the school day. Yeah. And it's it's tricky. It's re that's the thing I think I've found the hardest. And also weirdly, you know, we part of the reason of moving out here was to kind of separate work and and home life. <laughs> that, a bit that's more. not worked. <laughs> Three months later, literally I'm just going upstairs to work. And so it's that thing. And you know, and I've had so many occasions where I've been doing you know, live Q&As or whatever. And I can see Spike out the corner of my eye naked as he's just come out of the shower <laughs> and it's like, stay, you know, kind of tele um, telepathically going, stay there, do not come into shop. I always get, mom, can I have a snack? Mom, Oh my mom. God. Yes. It's, yeah, that's, that's, that's been the hardest thing of just sort of finding the right, you know, the time to fit everything in. and Yeah. So pre-COVID times, pre-lockdown times, and you're already in this, so I want to know, is there a point when they go to school that is guilt-free time? Because I want to know, can, when they start going to school, I feel like I'm going to get all my work done, I'm going to be start, like, start going to bed at 10 o'clock at night and getting a good eight hours. You know, I'm not going to be trying to cram everything in in the brief hours that I have at night time. So mm. is there an element of... It easing off a little bit when hell you yeah know, really good. I mean, literally as soon as they walk in those school gates, <laughs> it's like. But I, I, but it is that thing where I, I try and, as much as I can, do everything in that time. Then that they're at school, yeah. so that when they do finish school, then it's our time. Yeah. Um. Not always the case, you know, not always possible, but where it's possible, that's kind of what I try and strive for. And also, they're so tired by the end of the day as well that your their needs for you are that lovely side of being a yeah. mom and a dad you know of kind of like I'm tired I'm hungry I need a hug you know it's it's that it's that proper like just nurturing sort of side of it um whereas at the minute you're everything to them yeah um but yeah, oh man, I mean, yeah, for those like little kind of windows that we've had of them being back at school. Yeah, I mean, I, I started wild swimming, been swimming in lakes. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I remember doing remember doing exercise. I've done, I mean, I just, I actually yesterday. I remember doing exercise. Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't a walk or a bike ride. I um, Yesterday I was like, I have to do some kind of like stretch or yoga because I'm, I'm like a coiled spring. Yeah. So I did a, I did like two little twenty minute things yesterday morning whilst they were all just chilling out, um, and then uh, the, this woman Adriana, I don't know, she says yoga oh, with Adriana. She She's is amazing. amazing, isn't she? Yes, yeah. And um, 
and so she I saw her 30 day thing I went do you know what I'm going to do that it doesn't matter what time of the day I do it I'm going to do it yeah so today I started it I did day one and I did it about 4 30 so I'd got all dinner prepped the kids were having some like non-school device time Tom was in his studio the dog was I thought asleep and I was like, in the kitchen with my mat out like and then the dog wakes up and he's like I'm trying to do like like downward dog and he's in between my legs and then he just lies on the mat. But I did it. I did the first day. So that's my thing is I'm going to try whatever time I can get it done. Even if it's 11 o'clock at night, I'm going to see this through for the whole of February and a couple of days into March and do this 30 day thing. Because even from like today and yesterday, I feel so much better for it. Just I feel like I'm not hunched and I'm not, I feel a bit more open and a bit taller and just a bit more kind of like, can breathe a bit better as well. Yeah. So for the majority of last year, I felt like my body had completely been battered. And mm-hmm. I think it is that thing, it's that physical thing of parenting 24-7. Yeah. And it's, you know, I realised that I don't sit down at all in the day. Like, you're constantly doing and ferrying or whatever else. And, you know, it's no wonder that we all feel a bit battered and bruised because yeah. we don't stop. I think I've forgotten to breathe. Mm. It was so weird, like this um, the, This first day of this thing, a lot of it was about connecting with your breath. And she was like, okay, just to, and weirdly, actually, no, before that, we start starting to do these meditations with Spike. There was like a couple of them, okay, before we start, let's do three big breaths. And I was like, I can't remember the last time I took a deep breath or like actually, you know, properly inhaled and exhaled. And even that's kind of, it's crazy. But it's almost kind of like just because there's so much going on. It's, it's you know, and God, the amount of food. I don't know if your lot are just kind of, <laughs> how much food can small people consume in a day? <laughs> oh, I just don't want to have to ask that question. What do you want for lunch for a while? Or, oh my God, what do you want for breakfast? It's just like, oh, I'm so bored of making decisions as well about meals. My sister has started setting alarms one in the morning, one in the afternoon for snack times because Summer Ray otherwise will just have stacks constantly. It's all she asks for. It's like, no, you wouldn't have this at school, so you're not having it here. That's a great idea. That's a great idea. Rudy started baking, which has been quite nice as well. Well, They love Bake Off and stuff. And um, they're actually, the school are having a Bake Off on Wednesday, which is quite nice. They're giving the year eights a day off of lessons and they're doing Bake Off. Ah. So, um... He makes an amazing lemon card, so he wants to make a lemon meringue tart. So it's quite nice because then it's kind of, I've got to that point as well where I just um, like let him do it. Yeah. So he kind of knows where everything is. If I'm there, if he doesn't or if he needs help, but it's kind of like, no, on you go. You can, there's the recipe. Off you go. See, I can't wait to get to this stage when my kids bake for me. Mm. I've got the recipe for crepes up on the blackboard in the kitchen because they wanted that put up there so they could make them themselves. Amazing. That's quite nice. Mm. Yeah. I'm looking forward to them getting to these ages, Edith. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it, the far and few days that it actually happens, but, you know, <laughs> the incentive's there. The, the details are there for them. It's like, guys, remember that crepe recipe you asked me to put up on the board <laughs> three months ago? <laughs> the four-year-old, our four-year-old thinks he makes something called oinky pie. Where he oh, I'd like some of that. Well, so he just gathers loads of different ingredients from the cupboard 
and makes Amazing. loads and loads of mess. And I then while he's out that. the room, I quickly cook some pasta, put some cheese on it, and then put it in the oven. So it's basically macaroni Aww. cheese, but he thinks that he makes it. <laughs> That's the cutest thing ever. <laughs> you have to release your own brand of, of, of macaroni cheese called Oinky, Oinky Pie. pie. <laughs> yeah, totally. I, I love it. Totally. That's amazing. I used to do that. I used to remember doing that in my mum's cupboard with like all these. And I remember being absolutely like gobsmacked by the smell of cloves. Yeah. Just going, what are these things? It's so strong. It's like Nana's perfume. Like, <laughs> I mean, that's a good amount of time wasted in a pack, like in a cupboard as well. Like just smelling yeah. all the herbs. Yeah. Touching everything. That's maybe a good little way of passing the time is kind of just blindfolding them and doing getting them to try and work out what herbs what. I mean, Smell if herbs. I don't do that tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I've tried with all the healthy alternatives as well, like the the um, Helmsley and Helmsmate uh, equivalent of Nutella. And they, they know, they, they're like, there's no way that I'm not having the normal Nutella. My mum bought them the most ridiculously large tubs of Nutella, each with their names on it. Oh. Grandmas do that kind of thing, don't they? <laughs> you get away with all that. It's like, how much chocolate can you give one child? It's like, oh my God. I was fine as well with nans and stuff. It, at the, in the early days, it used to make me go, no, because we're doing this. Whereas now I'm kind of like, that's fine. Yeah, whatever you want. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that totally. weird transition. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. It's lovely watching that grandparent um, relationship. You know, I was talking about my granddad, but watching my kids with my mum and dad and Tom's mum and dad as well. It's lovely relationships. Yeah. Because that kind of responsibility is, is a different type of responsibility. Um, and it's really lovely as well because my kids get very different things from the two different sets of grandparents. And so, yeah, it's really nice. It's lovely. I love watching it. I love them spending time together. I wonder if being a grandparent is your chance to almost be the parent you wish you would have been. You know what I mean? Because you don't have all of the other That's stresses around it. Yeah. So you can literally just enjoy them. Yeah, and I guess, well, my mum died as, a, as an example of that because they were working so much. Do you know what I mean? They There was so much that they didn't do with me as a kid and my brother um, that... You know, now they're retired and they spend a lot of time with my nieces up in Scotland because they help, you know, they help childmind them. Um, and they're amazing grandparents. But yeah, my mum does stuff with them that, that, that she never did with me. Yeah. And, you know, because she was, you know, she was she was working. Um, and yeah, that's it's really interesting. Like almost like all the stuff she wanted to do, she's actually finally able to do. Yeah. It's lovely. Yeah, it's lovely. Edith, we end each podcast episode, mm-hmm. each podcast episode, we end each episode <laughs> with you finishing three sentences. It's very simple. Okay. Being a mum means. Being a mum means I get to learn so much about the world and myself. Since having children, I. Since be- since having children, I have learned to love in a way I didn't know was possible. And I'm happy when? I'm happy when I have a boy on each side of me. My boy, it's not just any boy. 
<laughs> snuggled in um, and they just kind of can't get close enough that it's almost smothering but it's the most wonderful feeling lovely Edith thank you so much it's been such a glorious chat it's so you. nice I honestly thank forgot so we were doing much. a podcast and some of that <laughs> bye lovely <laughs>